You are welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Temi Dada, aka Oluwa the Best, a TV commercial director. He has worked with brands like OctaFX, Chipper Cash, and Piggy Vest. He was a nominee for the Future Award Prize for film in 2022. We talk about his early days learning graphic design, components of a winning pitch, and his hopes for Nigerian filmmakers. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Dabest. You're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Can you introduce yourself? Um, okay, my name is Dara Tengitokwe. That's my government's name. Um, but most people know me as Oluwa Dabest. Um, I'm a TV commercial director. I mean, I'm a television commercial director. Um, and I also direct documentaries alongside running a production company um, in Lagos, Nigeria. Yeah, but gotten the opportunity to work within the country and outside directing for different brands and organizations. And it's been an interesting um, three three years journey that strictly directing. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, talk, talk to us about um, how you you got started in your creative endeavors? Um, so for the longest time that since I knew myself, um, I knew I was a creative. Um, I've always, like I grew up loving um, electrical stuff. Um, I'm one of those kids that would try to losing the radio to see what's inside the radio to find yeah. out why it's, why it's talking. Yeah. Um, then I think it was when I was about, when I was like almost out of primary school that GSM became a thing. So I was one of the people that would go and hide with my mom's phone somewhere yeah. and just try to figure out what is, what is making this thing receiving and talking to people that we cannot see. So, I mean, I grew up with that curiosity till out of secondary school. And when I got out of secondary school, we all know that um, break in Nigeria where you have to write all the exams that you need to write mm. before you get into university. And so I had this long time, this long waiting period trying to write exams, um, passing the exams, but I wasn't getting admission or I was getting like the wrong course, course of study and all that. So... During the, that waiting period, I got that was when Cyber Cafe became a thing in Nigeria. Mm. And I got the opportunity to know someone that owned a Cyber Cafe. Um, and I was helping the person sell tickets. But in the process of selling tickets, I had unlimited access to the internet. Like, so I could check anything, I could waste my time all day just browsing. And when people were buying, using, um, money to buy a ticket. I had unlimited access to it. So it was that period I found out about graphic design and I started doing graphic design. So I was I was um, learning about graphic design on our self-taught. I was learning on online and I was impl- implementing the things I learned online yeah. back into just designing stuff, designing stuff for church, designing stuff for brands. And that was what I did till... Um, 
till I got admission into University of Lagos. And when I got admission to the University of Lagos, um, I needed something that would make make me more money. Graphic design wasn't that profitable then. It was mm. profitable, but it was not like it was not something that was sustaining me in school because at, at that time, um, I already lost my mom, who was like my major financier. Yeah. So I needed to finance myself through school. That was when I picked up photography. So Picking up photography was, oh, this is something that would I can make money from and it will not affect my education. It means I can go to shoot events during the weekend because events was, was majorly weekends then. And during the week, I can be in school just studying. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. I think it was 200 level. Then I got bored of photography. Um, then from getting bored of photography, I got to find, find out there's something called cinematography yeah. that... I can I could also explore. So I gradually just transitioned from photography into just shooting wedding films, shooting documentaries, um, shooting short brand brand um, content and all that. And I figured I loved it more than photography. So I sold all my photography photography gears. I gave some out for free, hmm. just so that I'm not tempted to go back to photography uh, again. Then that was what I was doing before COVID hit. So mm. I think that's that, that's been my creative journey into the like motion picture videography space so far. Yeah, maybe. So you mentioned um you know you are helping out at this cyber cafe and um you started learning graphic design. What year was this? This this would be around two thousand and nine to like two thousand and twelve. So because I finished secondary school 2009, yeah, and I knew I like started working at that summer cafe like SS3, so mm-hmm. it was like just immediately before finishing secondary school into like two years of writing jam, yeah. Okay, so um, by any chance, did you learn with um YouTube or how did you you know pick up? I can't even remember how I learned then, so I think it was majorly just um. I saw Corred, you know that time there used to be like CDs, you buy Corred Raw CDs. Yeah. It's not like you download and install. It's like you go and buy a computer village. So I think someone brought Corred Raw for me to help them install on their laptop, if I remember well. And I just mistakenly just installed it on the server system to just figure what's this Corred Raw that they're installing. And that's when I now started playing with like shapes, fonts. Then I now figured, oh, this is what they used to do flyers. So it was not really YouTube. It was like me seeing different flyers on the road and pick it and try to replicate that design. And YouTube wasn't like that big for learning as at that time. I mm. mean, we're talking 2009. Yeah, that's like when Yahoo Messenger was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so like YouTube, 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 I guess there, there was YouTube, but I'm not sure it was like. There's no the, content here. Yeah. Like content on this then. Yeah. Okay. So you said it was, you know, just before COVID that you made the switch to motion picture, cinematography and all that. Yeah, no um yeah, like two years before COVID. It was my two hundred level in Unilag, I made the switch, I remember well. You mentioned doing weddings and other jobs. So for you now, standing where you are, like with all the experience you have, like how formative were those years, you know, shooting weddings, especially with the pressure that comes with this kind of events? 
Yeah, so like I, I used to tell people that one of the best ways to learn filmmaking, if you're not going to film school, is to go to learn via the event route. Mm. Because there, you will learn everything. You learn to be a director. You learn to be a gaffer yourself. I mean, using natural light to your best, to the best of your abilities. You learn to work under pressure. You learn to like, you literally have to get that shot. If you don't get that shot, that's the end of that shot. You are not going to tell the pastor to come back again and join them. Mm. Or you are not going to tell the pastor to tell them and say, um, can you tell them to kiss each other again? It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's only going to happen once. So that doing that will put you on your toes and you like you cannot afford to get shoot at the wrong guy so at that point. Yeah. Or afford to to miss that shot. So those things will, will help you learn faster and it will give you like real time. And the beautiful thing about events is you go back and go and edit yourself so you can see all the mistakes that you've made. And when you're shooting the next event, you're trying to avoid those mistakes. So it was like a learning curve for me. Mm. Like um, this Saturday, you learn that, oh, if you shoot, um, if you slow down 50 frame, uh, a 25 frames image, it's going to look terrible. So next week, you go and shoot 50 frames and try to slow it down. Yeah. Okay, can only shoot slow 50 frames. Um, down by um, half, 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 um, like, you can only slow it down to a large extent. So you know that, oh, if I want a little bit more slow motion, okay, then I have to do this. Then you try and shoot, like, uh, sh- a wrong shutter speed, you see the effect. So it was like a tutorial class. On apology to all the weddings I shot. Yeah. But it was more like a tutorial class for me. It was like, okay, you explore this thing this Saturday, and, okay, we'll shoot against the sun this thing. Let's see. Oh, it's more silhouette this time. Okay, next time we'll use the sun as our key light. You get, so all those things were like formative years um, for me, especially in filmmaking, was um, that period where um, I was exploring, experimenting these things, and they were working. And... Yeah, so th- that wedding scene, like I tell people, is like one of the best places to learn if you cannot afford a film school. I mm. mean, if you can afford a film school, go and learn um, the tutorial, um, the theoretical and the practical parts. Yes, please go. But if you can't, if you find yourself in the event, event environment, then that's one of the best places to learn as a filmmaker because you are literally everything. You are the gaffer, you are the DP, you are the AC, you are the, uh, you are the, what they, you are everything. Yeah. Because you try just have to get that shot. You are not going to tell your clients that, oh, you're eating. That's why you did not shoot at this particular mm-hmm. time. Or your battery, your battery was, was was low and you couldn't get that shot. And you're you are also the producer. You are thinking of, oh, for me to film this event first perfectly i need maybe a three camera oh okay i need two other people to assist me so it's like a whole it's like you're learning the entire film production aspect but you're learning it in a small scale so when it was time to scale um, bigger it almost seems like i was not working mm. because i was used to i was used to being the one holding the camera then now okay i'm a director i don't have to hold the camera again doesn't mean i don't need the camera like all those things were like things that um, wedding thoughts. We, I learned just shooting weddings and shooting events. Yeah. Okay. So um, you know, you, you talked about learning from practice, but you also like are encouraging people that if they can go to film school because the theory is important. So for you, um, yeah. you know, when did you pick up the theory, and you know how? How fundamental is the theory to, you know, actually doing great cinematographic work? 
Um, so yeah, like I said, the theory is very important. I mean, it's one of the best things that was, I would say happened to my career, learning like the theory, because I mean, when I transitioned from photography to film, it was me just experimenting and saying, you know, in photography, I used to shoot one over 125 shutter speed so that it's not a blurry picture. Mm. Then in film, oh, if you shoot below one over 50 shutter speeds, then it is blurry and all that. Then the motion blur is terrible and all that. So it was just those experiments, experimental phase for me until I got to got an opportunity to be in a, like, proper it was not a film school but it was a cinematography class so there was while we're shooting weddings there was this guy that usually just scattered the whole online environment with content um mm-hmm. we're all like doing basic things that we knew how to do and we're putting good stuff at least good enough to get us booked for the next event yeah. but there was this guy that was just doing something exceptional and it was crazy so uh, his name is timmy davis by the way yeah. so i bought him. and Every time he put he, he posts stuff, it was awesome to just watch. It was like almost like is this same way now? Why isn't the same Canon camera? So mm. why is your own result different from mine? Um, and that's where knowledge comes in. So he, uh, he at a point he made a post that I wanted to like um, train some set of people. So I applied, I applied to join the class, and that was when I got opportunity to be in a proper. Um, cinematography class then we'll now start dealing with theory so you now start seeing that oh this is why this result is this person is getting this result and i'm not getting mm-hmm. yes we both use the same gear we both approach um we both have like the same almost the same environment to film but there's just something that happens when you have knowledge when you have uh, knowledge about something that is different from someone that is just um experimenting yeah so when you're experimenting with knowledge you tend to achieve more results so that was what happened to me that class just opened my eyes to see the possibility that is available to us even um even not just to the creative aspect even the business part aspect of cinematography before then i used to think directors were like very lazy like why you say a director when you're not the one holding the camera yeah that was my mindset before that then i was like ah, the guy holding the camera is inside the one doing everything you're just sitting on one chair and seeing you're a director that class just opened my eye to see that the director is is just the brain behind the production um because you're holding the camera does not mean that um you have the whole picture in your mind there's someone that has the whole picture that needs to put everything together that needs to ensure that everything that he wants to achieve is what he, he, he eventually achieves on the film set. So, so th- that class just opened my mind to the possibility that is available to the um, regular filmmaker. And from that class, um, everything just changed for me, to be honest. Yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, at some point you thought some directors were lazy and all that. So what does, what does you know, stepping back and, you know, just fully owning that director role, like what does it... And what clarity does it give you? And what, how does it help productions, you know, once the director is kind of focused just on their job? Um, so, I mean, one of the things that class, one of the things I learned off that class is literally that what I've been doing all my life has been majorly directing and other things. Yeah, so when you shoot weddings, you are the one that have, like, the idea of what's the story you're trying to tell. Um, you are the one that is going to plot how many cameras you need to tell the story. You are the one that is going to like figure out how many team members you need to bring on board, um, which um, kind of look and feel do you want this wedding to have? Um, 
what sound are you looking at um, using for this particular wedding film, which is literally like you are the brain work of the project mm. and which is what directing is all about. Is you are like the one that has like the full idea in your head. Every other person just has a fragment of that. The DP just has like what the picture needs to look like in his head made primarily. He might have an idea of the story, but his own focus is just to figure out how this picture is going to be best. The sound guy also just have a, has an idea of how he wants um, to create the sound that will feel you know, that will fill in the mood that you want the film to have. But as a director, you are the one that has like the overview of everything and you need to sit on that table to be able to see that overview just become become a reality. Because yeah. if you miss that, you've um, you've lost your job as a director, to be honest. Every, every other person will move to the next project. They're going to hire them because, I mean, they will shoot great pictures regardless. Yeah. But if the project is trash, still trash. It's just trash with good pictures you get. So um, just that class made me understand, that, oh, what I've been doing for the longest of time is directing, but I've just been directing and also being the DP, directing and also being the sound guy. Okay, now there's now a bigger project that I don't have to be the DP or be the sound guy. I just have to sit as a director and ensure that every other department functions well mm. and they achieve what I want them to achieve. Okay. So, um, you know, at what, po- at what point did your big break happen? Mm, so I would say, like, it was immediately after COVID. So, like I was saying earlier, um, it was all leading to a fast and run life, um, a very very like predictable um future until covid happened and events stopped there was yeah. no events um so there was literally no source of income apart from minor contents that were shooting so mm. it was that time me and um some couple of friends that i live with um had to re-strategize and just started focusing on self-development it was that covid period we started experimenting lights um started writing like some short short stories to film and see how it looked, um, we edit, we analyze, we'll go back again, try some other lighting patterns. Yeah. Um, it, was that, it was that period was just like self-development period for us. Um, and immediately COVID stopped, we got an opportunity to go outside the country to shoot a um, commercial, an announcement commercial for a brand. And it became a, it became a thing. And from that job, the next job happened. Um, someone was on the board of decision of for a commercial, and my name came up, and they saw my work, and everybody just agreed, oh, let's let's use this guy. And that job, they all agreed for. Um, they all agreed to use me. It was the other first commercial that I shot, yeah. and that blew up um, beyond. It blew up beyond what I even envisaged. And when the when I got the brief, I knew it was a mad project here. Yeah? Mm. But I didn't see it as a project that everybody would just. Mad. I mean, when the Nigeria market, I didn't know people would get crazy about transitions like that. Yeah. I didn't know people would. Um, I didn't like. We are so used to like mediocre commercials that I, I, I didn't know that that commercial would people would understand it. I don't know if you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, that it's easier to do a simple commercial and just somebody talking and explaining things to people when it comes to a commercial where it is self-explanatory you need it to be perfect for um, people to understand i knew creatives were like i mean the transitions and how we interpret it and all that but i didn't know the general market would get it 
and it was just like me just and i didn't even see now i only just saw that project to be honest i only just wanted that project to be successful yeah. and that's me that's me with every of my job i only just go into the job to make sure that this is successful i'm not going into the job because of the next project or because of the one after that i'm only just going to fully interpret this let the clients be happy and my, satisfy my own creative desires too so um that was what i took into to the project and when the project came out and the reception was great i was surprised because at some point i was like what do you people actually want like about this commercial? Because to be honest, immediately the commercial dropped, I started seeing a lot of things I could have done better on the commercial. Yeah. But I guess many people did not see that, so they love the commercial. And till today, I still get referrals off that project. That's the most important thing. Just you know, um, focus on that one job, and you know, yeah. things could come out of it. At this point, I ask like, was your? I mean, your your um director for tv commercials for you what is your best tv commercial of all time do you have one (laughs) should i answer like (laughs) should i give you a media answer or give you like a real answer no let's let's keep it real (laughs) uh real answer is i don't think i have the best i have some that i like yeah but I don't think I have the best because I think what happens to me most time is after the project is out, I, start, I now start to see things I could have done better on the project. Then mm. I begin to not like it as much as I used to like it anymore. You get, um, so like the media answer will be my next project is my best project. Mm. So, I mean, the next project is not out yet. So, so far, um, if I'm going to pick the two um, that I like most, it will be the Octa FX project. So I can't do two, I can do three. Yeah, okay. fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be the Octa FX project, um, the cheaper Bonner Boy commercial uh-huh. and the pocket Irasta commercial. Nice. These are like my three. Because if I'm going to pick my style, I'm going to pick my style from those three commercials. Yeah. Okay. Um you know it's it's one thing to do on job and it's another thing to for the clients to keep coming back for you um how do you how do you kind of maintain that ongoing relationship with the client and how do you try to keep things fresh Mm, that's a serious question that's a very very interesting one so for me um like i do say uh, or tell people that um relationship is key um, every other thing is is a byproduct of relationship. Um, you know, as creatives, most times we focus on being creative. We focus on trying to be that creative that we are, and forget that business is also like an integral, like a very very huge part of our creative process. So for me, I like to keep relationship like um, very professional and very. Um, I don't like to finish a job and. And this has, this is even before I started um, directing commercials. Yeah. Even from my photography days, I still like have contacts with my clients that were like my clients when I was a graphic designer that still yeah. reached out to me sometime earlier this year asking if I can make logo for them. That's I'm saying someone that I did logo for in like 2012. Yeah. And that's like me after changing almost three careers. So like I like to keep relationship. I like to um foster relationship i don't just i don't like to end things badly mm. so even if the project isn't successful or isn't the 
um, perfect interpretation of what we want you to be. I still like to like keep um, and not like make them friends and chat with them every day. No, I don't do that with my clients. Uh, but like I like to like leave like the opportunities open that every time we see each other we remember that oh we created something amazing together even and even beyond creating that um we built a bond in that in doing that um so i i mean for example even though i don't like calls i'm not a call me person Mm. if my client calls me i pick my call because they are paying me even though i'm not um very good with text replying text and all that which i i even prefer over call but if my clients should text me i reply um like i used to tell people it's better to reply and tell them what is happening than to not say anything because mm-hmm. you're not saying anything is leaving the leaving everything to their imagination yeah so even at times when we have a project and the edit is taking time i communicate i tell the client oh um, this is what is happening right now I'm at the editor's place and we're having a little bit of issue and we're trying to fix it. But I just let them know that their project is priority to me. And that is like my, that's like my work um, ethic. When I'm working, I communicate to my clients. I let them know if there's any issue. And if there's no issue, if I, if I, if I had given them my words that I would deliver on so-and-so dates, I deliver. And if I can't deliver on that date, I send them a message before that day. Yeah. I don't send them a message on that day and say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't deliver again today. I send them before that day because, I mean, as creative, we can tell if your deadline is not going to be any near the deadline. You can, you can tell from, like, two days before that time that, oh, maybe I'm supposed to send a treatment down to an agency. Yeah. And, like, it's before my deadline. I just feel like I'm there's nowhere this creativity is coming from. I send them a message. Oh, your project is, I'm working on your project, but right now um, there's a lot on my table. Can you please give me like a few more days to wrap up and I'll, I'll get it to you on or before this date. So yeah. I try to, and I try, even when I when I postpone dates like that, I try to deliver the next day I'm giving, giving them or earlier before that time. So that it's not like I'm, every time I'm making excuses mm. and it's becoming a pattern. So, I mean, communication is key for me. I communicate to my clients. Um, I appear on time if I need to show for physical meetings, um, but not been doing a lot of physical meetings. If it's online, I try to get there early enough. Um, I mean, so these are the little things that you pick up. Character is king. It's not just about being the best um, director out there. Can they trust you if they yeah. give you their money? I, I can would they be able to go to bed and say oh, you are doing their work or they have to go and involve a lawyer or, or call a um, first person to be looking for you um so all those things are like key to me because um those are like the characters i grew up on even before i became a director so i think that's the only way i've been able to maintain uh, my clients because if you check my project it's most likely recurring clients yeah. um and yes i'm i mean Additional would be that I'm also a creative, so the project is dope enough. There's nowhere else for them to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, even if you are creative and your character is shit, they will look for someone else that is less creative that won't stress them. To be honest, people don't want to be stressed. So mm. the less you are an asshole to them, the better for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's say a client contacts you, walk us through you know, getting the brief and the whole back and forth up until you shoot. Like how 
how does that process normally go? Okay, so I mean, clients reach out to me. Um, most times, there's like two ways they reach out. Um, the product, product I've worked with, um, some reach out to me directly um, and say, oh, um, the best, I uh, want to shoot this commercial. Um, this is the script. Our agency will be in conversation with you. And so it goes away from that client yeah. to me now con um, having conversations with the agency that's involved in their marketing and branding and all that. And some, it is the agency that reached out and said, oh, we have this client that wants to take commercial and we think you're the one that can deliver this commercial, um, this vision that we have in our head. Um, and they share the brief. So that's like the two ways most times they reach out to me. Once in a while, some clients which is, um, try to reach out to me directly. They don't have an agency and they just reach out and say, I want to shoot an ad for our brand. We don't have a script. Can you come up with a script? Most of the time I tell them, oh, sorry, that's the work of a creative agency and not my work. However, I have so-so and so creative agencies that I've worked with and I can trust them to deliver. Yeah. I'll do an introductory email and they'll go and deal with their stuff. When they are done, they come back to me. Um, so, yeah, that's like how they reach out to me. Then from brief, um, when they send me a brief, um, I reach out to my producer. Um, most times we ask them for what's their budget, um, what's their ballpark budget that they're looking at for that project. Because truth be told, every client have a ballpark project they're working with. I'm, I mean, we're in Nigeria, most times we just say, oh, we don't know. Just let us know what the budget is. And yeah. that's most times a orange flag. I don't say a red flag. Hmm. <laughs> that's an orange flag, yeah? Because, I mean, once, once you know the budget, it's easier to, like, put your ideas around that budget than try to build up Todd Milan Bridge with the one million era budget hmm. or try to build a tower with something that is um, less than a million era. So, most times, they let for the successful projects we've done, they let us know the budget from, from the jump and we go I go and create my treatment. My producer goes into costing. Yeah. So the producer does the costing. Me, I go to do my treatment just to interpret the scripts that they have in my own way or um, add my own spice to the scripts. Then we come back. I send the, um, the treatments to them. Um, they like or they make an adjustment where they need to. Um, agencies can be stubborn sometimes they tell you why did you change our story ready send this from approval sorry you can't change it so mm. we talk ourselves through that process from the agency and once they once they are satisfied with the final draft of the treatment then we go into pre-production fully that's when we now start hiring crew members hiring cast um going for location recce scouting location once we have that period of um, pre-production sorted we go into production and production shoots day one, shoots day two for multiple day shoots. Um, then from there, we go into editing. Um, I, 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 even though I can edit, I try not to edit project, projects myself because I like to have different people on project that will bring their spice just to make the project better. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for collaboration. So anytime I have opportunity to collaborate with people, um, I'm always excited. So, um, I like to use editors for my project. So I get the project to an editor, but even in the process of using editor, I send them an edit brief. Um, um, we talk through it, probably a Zoom call, or if it's somebody I can go see physically, we have a conversation on how the edits will go. Yeah. Um, then does the first draft, send it down to me, make an adjustment. 
go back, then second draft, I send to the client, they see it. If they have if they have corrections, they send in, you adjust the corrections, lock offline edits, then from there we'll go online, we'll go to colorist, um, VFX, um, sound design, and every other part of production. And that's like, once we have that all locked, we send it back to the clients, they like it, if they need to make adjustment, they make an adjustment, then we go back to review and send them to the final draft and we get our balance. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so the clients like to work with, um, what I say, storyboards or visual, are the treatments normally visual or, you know, it's kind of you breaking down what you want to do? No, the treatments are visual. Um, I Most of my projects are not, not used storyboard because the treatment are highly visual. Yeah. Because um, in my treatments, you'll be seeing video references, how the transition is going to look like, scene to scene breakdown, pictorial. you like almost be able to see how the commercial flow will be like just reading through the treatment and seeing the references there. So um, even from the treatment alone, we can go to shoot and have a successful shoot. But even after that, I do a short list that has like pictures something more like a storyboard but with pictures real frame of how i want each frame to be yeah. so there's a lot of research that goes into my creative process of creating treatment and all that it's not just me just writing some jargons and sending it to clients and trying to develop it no mm. it's me doing a lot of research um finding similar references references to things i want to achieve and putting it down in the treatment so it's very very complex for me okay so um if you had to you know categorize the different kind of key aspects of a winning treatment, what would those be? Key aspect of a winning treatment, I would say, number one, let your, let your, um, what, what, let the first thing they see be enticing. That is your cover. Let your cover be interesting. Mm. Go add on your cover because that's the first thing they see. Then let your introduction be impeccable. Let them read your introduction and know that they hired the right person. And thank God these days we have like um, AI systems that can help you in writing your, uh, your introduction better. So you can just draft your ideas into like AI, um, chat GPT and all that and allow chat GPT to help you reform it in such a way that it is presentable. Yeah. yeah? Um, then um, your references has to be strong. You don't just pull up... Um, for example, if the scene says we, um, the camera opens with a close-up, um, a close-up sort of a bedside lamp. Don't just go out, go to Google and type bedside lamp and just pick any image and just drop it there and say, "Oh, they say bedside lamp." No, do your research. Get the best angle of a bedside lamp that you've seen in your life. Like you know that would depict the story and put it there. So when they see that picture, they know that oh, this person we can trust this person with our money because even the the pictures are, and the video references are creative enough. Yeah. You get, so there's a lot of research that needs to go into your treatments. Then um, three, um, less words, more picture. Less words, more picture. Don't fully, don't make it be too wordy. Um, use visuals more, more pictures and videos, yeah? Use picture, pictures and video more to depict your idea than just slapping words on every page then lastly um be able to defend it and just explain what you're trying to achieve to the clients 
at the end of the day, they've seen your real, they know what you can do, mm. but this is just you trying to second, um, give them a second level of trust in your ability to deliver their idea. Yeah. Okay, so at this point, um, we'll take a bit of a detour. Can you mention three random facts about you? Random facts about me? Is it, I check YouTube every day. There's no day since 2020 or even before then that I don't watch YouTube. Yeah, how many hours I try minutes? To, I try to learn something new. Eh? How many minutes or hours do you spend? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sat down to calculate that, so I don't know. But I spent a good amount of time watching stuff on YouTube. I'm just watching random stuff, not necessarily like commercials and all that. But I just try to learn something every day, something new. So every day of my life, I try to learn something new that I've not seen before or just remind myself of something that I've seen before. So I'm a YouTube fan. Um... Second, I don't really like movies that much. Okay. <laughs> um, Why? I don't know. Maybe because I didn't grow up on like TV, heavy on TV. Um, I grew up heavy on computers, so I only watch movie when it's overhyped or when it's when it, when the trailer looks interesting to me. Yeah. And I'll try to find out what's in the film. But so, like watching film is not like what I do at will. Yeah. There was the third one. I wear black a lot. So it's, it's not a production thing. It's just like you prefer black. Yeah. Well, product. My life is revolved. Uh, my life is largely revolving around production. Yeah. So that influences my wardrobe to a large extent. So by default, I have plenty of black outfits. Mm. And so when it's time to go out, I just pick one of them. Okay. So, you know, you you have mentioned that, you know, you started from graphics, you went into photography, you did weddings, now you're doing TV ads. Basically, yeah, you like you like to um, explore new things. So what's the next frontier for you? Do you know? I have an idea, but I don't know fully yet. Can you share? I, no, it's not what I can share. <laughs> Not I can share yet, but I have an idea of what I see myself doing when I retire of TVC. But I'm still going to be in TVC for a long time. Mm. And I want to also explore film film itself, like proper film. Yeah. So this year, I plan to do my short film. I have a script already. Um, it's been a fully developed script just for us to go into production. We're looking for money to yeah. execute here. Yeah? Um, so I want to just explore the short film and festival routes to see if um, directing a feature will be a pain. Um, but uh, majorly, I'm going to still be in this commercial space for a long time. Okay. Um, just working on, because we don't, to be honest, we don't have enough commercial directors in Nigeria yet that are delivering at like a global standard huh. yet. We have new people entering the space every now and then. I'm excited for what is happening in the music video space and all that. And I wish that we can also replicate that level of professionalism and and uh, trustworthiness in the television commercial space. Yeah, a few directors are coming up and it's interesting to see the projects that are coming out of this space, um, which is my goal. So I, I tend to do educational um, projects too, not just mm. direct commercials. I train, I train people on cinematography and all that. But this year I'm also 
um, trying to focus on like training even directors, not just people entering the cinematography space. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to focus on also training other directors, um, especially people that are interested in television commercials. Yeah. Um, so my next adventure is not filmmaking. After I'm done with the visual commercials and maybe explore features, it's not filmmaking. Okay. Yeah, but but I mean, it's still going to be some something creative. So nice. I'm still going to be here for a for a long time. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you mentioned some of these classes that you run. Is that through your shoot, edit, repeat um, workshop? Yeah, that's my shoot, edit, repeat workshop. Um, it has largely been focused on um, just training people to understand the basic and essence of filmmaking and cinematography in general. But I'm also looking to do like a streamlined phase of that into people that are interested in actually becoming a director. Mm. But the entry level, the entrance for that is not going to be um, open to the general public. It's going to be screened. You have to have done some projects in your life yeah. before you decide to come and enter that class. Because I didn't just want to round up people that have no idea what filmmaking is. Huh. Register and say they want to become a director. You need to have explored other things in filmmaking first before you decide and say you want to be a director. So you are nominated for the Future Award um, for film? Yes, I was. How how did you feel when you you know heard that you were nominated? To be honest, I was shocked because I mean that's like last year, if I'm if I'm right, and I was just like two three years into directing. It's not like I'd done ten years and like and, and I'm like oh yeah, I'm now in this piece. I own this piece. I'm just like still ex- exploring stuff. Um, I'm still like trying to figure out my voice in that space as at the time I was nominated. So I was shocked. I was like, wow. So people actually see my work beyond social media. Because, I mean, uh, when a time and age where you just feel like the only person your work are people on Instagram. But when your work now starts transcending beyond that and people are now physically... Um, yeah. Physically now nominating you for awards that, like, it's not social media awards. It's awards where people will come and... That means your work, your work is transcending beyond just the online space. And that was quite interesting for me. Yeah, I mean, my works um, most times is viewed everywhere on Big Brother Ninja, on Terrestra TV platforms and all that. But nobody, to a large extent, nobody cares about the television commercial director. You don't see a television commercial and the first thing that comes to your mind is who directed this, except you're creative, yeah? So when such thing happens and you're being nominated in a yeah. category that is largely for, you know, when, 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 you, when, when they say filmmaker, most times we don't consider television director, television commercial directors as filmmakers. We most likely consider them as oh, maybe creative and all that. And so when you are now being nominated for a category that is most of people in that category mm. are like film, like people that do two hours content, then it's it's an amazing um, experience. It was an amazing experience for me. I can't even lie. It's one of the highlights of my career so far. Um, and I'm looking forward to more interesting nominations. Especially in this space where there's no even awards for yeah. creatives that much, then you now get to be you now get a nomination for just the few that exist. That's that's, mm. that's interesting to be honest. So you know, commercials. I think you know, for commercials, they are they tend to be like thirty seconds, one minute, and you could say that what commercial directors do 
it's is a bit harder than what you know film filmmakers do because filmmakers sometimes they have two hours three hours to make their points but um for commercial directors you know um you have to represent this whole big idea in a limited amount of time yeah so like for you is it is it something that's i mean you've you've hacked it you know you basically know like okay maybe um the brief is looking a bit um too too broad other times where you know you're struggling to fit the idea into that 30 yeah, seconds or one so minute yeah first, first say i'm not sure it is other for television commercials and film I'm not sure the right word I would say. Before they come back, drag me. I say, <laughs> one director out there is saying that their work, their work, their work is simple. I'm not saying that. I've never said that. In fact, I respect film directors a lot because I can't see myself being on set for that long just for one project. Maybe that's why I've never gone into it. I've got like um, inquiries to come and direct the film and all that. Someone has even told me there's budget on ground. When I'm ready, I should just say them no. But sorry, <laughs> I can't see myself just being in one long set for that long period of time yet. I'm still young. Let me just explore with this short form content that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and this long period of time you're talking about right now is just like maybe two weeks, three weeks. We're not even talking about months. If I'm going to go into film, then it can't be two weeks. We have to take our time. We have to get it right. Yet, I'm not going to be one of those commercial directors that are releasing projects every month. No, that's not me. I don't see myself as that. Yeah, I don't have an issue with that because the, I mean the community needs that for it to foster. Um, the industry needs that because if there are no films, nobody's making because that's even more business savvy than if you are doing one film a year or one film in three years. Yeah, but I don't just see myself as that director that would be on set every month trying to create micro projects here yeah? and so i respect i respect film directors i have friends that are film directors um and i honestly respect that also i mean one of my one of the people i admire in the industry that we have like a little bit talking relationship is she's not a producer she's not a director and i respect her work I've, I've had the opportunity to meet quite a number of directors in this space, and I honestly just respect that also. So I won't say it is easier. I won't say it is easier, but I would say um, directing a television commercial just requires special skills of knowing how to tell a story in the shortest possible way and in the fastest possible way. Because at the end of the day, you are trying to say tell a story and people must get it. If they don't get it in a film, you can go and do part two. Or you can go and try to explain at the end of the film, I write, oh, and he got shot, and uh, the family remained happily ever after. You cannot do that in television commercial. Because in television commercial, you are doing two things. You are selling, you are selling a product and you are telling a story. So you must get to those two things. You cannot sell the product and not tell the story well. Nobody will buy it. Hmm. You must attack the emotions by selling the, telling the story and also infuse the product selling into your story. So you have to learn, you have to know how to tell a story in the shortest possible way hmm. first. And so, and that requires you understanding the core of storytelling. What is the core of storytelling? Is it long dialogues or 
just short dialogues? Is he um, good aesthetics or just anywhere Belefi? So all those things are like, like for that's why the, the budget in commercials are quite heavy. Why? Because just the ambience alone needs to have, need to have given, um, need to have done like 50% of the storytelling. Yeah. Because if that didn't happen, then you are going to confuse everybody, including the products you are trying to sell. So I would say it just requires a special skills, a special skill of understanding how to tell a short story. And I think um, filming documentary for the long longest time has helped me understand that part of storytelling because um, documentary is made largely on storytelling. So if you understand that and just understand how to add quality to your storytelling and compress it in the shortest possible way. And um, the beautiful thing about the story is not just what you add to the story, but what you can take away from the story and the story still maintains itself. Mm. So that's one of the beauty about commercial. It's not about just adding everything that exists or, or shooting all the angles that exist in the space. It's about how less, like, less is more. I think that's just the summary of it in commercial. Less is more. So what is the least amount of time you can tell the story and it still maintain its essence and people are not lost in the story and they just get what you're trying to say. Yeah. What are some of the things you draw inspiration from? Do you like get inspired by music, art? What What are some of those things? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, fan of music a lot. I listen to a lot of music. I don't know if I draw inspiration from it, but I just love music. So what I don't do in movies, I do a lot in music. I, ex- I explore a lot of music. Um, yeah, I listen to music a lot. And even more, more Nigerian music and one or two foreign music here. Yeah, but I'm a fan of Nigerian music. Um, what else do I draw inspiration from? Just going out and meeting people, to be honest. I, don't, I like to just explore human relationships and... That alone, I draw inspiration from then. Then I draw inspiration from reading. So mm. I tend to, I used to read a lot. I don't read a lot again, but I used to read a lot um, growing up. So just that reading a lot has gave me some background. And I think one of the, one of my biggest inspiration too will be filming weddings. Um, weddings just opened my eyes to a lot of possibility that things exist. Because I mean, if you're trying to tell a story and you don't know that the story exists, then yeah it's going to be difficult. So filming weddings just put, put filming weddings and documentary uh, placed me in some rooms that I normally would not be because um, I didn't grow up in a wealthy background where we're comfortable. Um, my family, were, my dad had, had his own house and all that, but um, it was not like in the um, prominent part of Lagos and all that. So mm. well, filming weddings gave me opportunity to be in almost all the hotel that exists in Lagos, from the high to the low. So I saw what luxury, definition of luxury in this part of the world is first and um, filming documentary gave me opportunity to travel to several countries without me buying ticket or getting, um, trying to also for visas myself, just yeah. my camera and the client is paying for the ticket and visa. So. I mean, filmmaking just gave me that opportunity to explore, and that opportunity is what I'm putting back into my craft. That, um, that, uh, the things I've seen and the things I've experienced is what I, what like majorly form how I interpret briefs that I get. Then I try to research a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm always on different commercial sites, just checking out what is what is happening right now, 
Um, I've probably seen the um, I've probably seen all the Super Bowl commercial that exists since 2020. Yeah. Um, for all the brands that have ex- I have a I'm a soccer for knowledge, so I probably watched all the Super Bowl commercials that exist and just see how they infuse that storytelling. And I also um watch like African ads so that I'm not lost in the Western interpretation that I forget to interpret it in our, our own culture and way. Yeah. So I mean those are the things I draw inspiration from every now and then. Okay. And um what documentary subjects do you do you have an affinity for? Like what subjects in documentary do you like exploring? Um so I like to be honest, I like brand documentary. I like to do brand documentaries, just brand storytelling. Yeah. Um, I like to explore. I don't like to explore the poverty part of Africa in documentary because I believe that's not all that we are made of. Yeah. Yes, that exists. I cannot deny that that doesn't exist. It exists, but I believe that there are more African stories that we can tell that is not um, poverty-driven. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I like documentaries that are real, um, brands, individual. Um, yeah, those are like my core. And just emotional stories. I, I love that. I love to tell that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, you've worked with OctaFX, GT Bank, um, Chipper Cash, Piggy Vest. The list goes on. Um, yeah. Do you have some brands on your wish list? Who do you want to work with? Maybe you can uh, manifest. He's there. I have I have two that are top on my wish list. I want to work with Apple and I want to work with Coke. If I if I get to work with those two, then I can retire and go to my next creative <laughs> creative venture, journey or yeah. creative endeavor or adventure. Yeah. But once I work with Apple and Coke, yeah, and Nike. Those are the three top three I want to work with. Apple, Coke and Nike. Okay. Fingers crossed. Wow. Yeah. Looking forward to and that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the art space, you know, it's, it's kind of a different world from the film industry. Um, but, you know, we're kind of interconnected in a way. Um, yes. Yeah. And as a whole, you know, the industry is moving as one. You know, every things tend to affect yeah, both sides, both the commercial space and the film space. What do you think um, as an industry we need to prioritize? You know, what, what do we need to improve based on how we do things? This is a, this is a um, very interesting question. And it is, it's good to, I mean, it's an interesting and, um, very, very good question. So what I would say we need to prioritize is, so, I mean, I, I, I really, I'm really excited at where the industry is right now. Generally, I'm not even saying commercial, generally, mm. I mean, one of the days where picture on film with bad pictures will come out of Nigeria, yeah. at least we know that we have good pictures. If we don't have every other thing, we know that we, we have, um, we have things, equipment at our disposal now. Well, we don't have all, but we have majority of what is required to tell a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what we need to work on as an industry, to be honest, will be um, would be budgeting from my end. The fact that um, us as creative, we have to um, jump from 
um hand to mouth every now and then and there's yeah. no like you can't do a project and go and rest for the end of the rest till the end of the year mm. because you literally have to be on the next project to survive yeah be on, like most times i get to work with um because i mean i'm a director i'm not the gaffer i'm not the um grip guy and all that but i work with people that literally they just finished from a set yesterday probably like 1 a.m in the midnight mm. and they have to resume on my set 6 a.m the next day their level of productivity cannot be 100 percent yeah they cannot function at the maximum capability that exists so i would say we need to have more budgets that people can take breaks and say, oh, I'm just going to work for three months. I'm going to rest for one month. I'll come back again and work for three months. I know that they need to be on the next project yeah. before they can feed their families or before they can, um, which is what I've been fighting for a lot of time. Um, I'm trying to tell the brands that we need this budget to go up so we can pay these people well. So that when they come and say, they are not angry. Mm. They are not, because if you pay somebody well, he's excited to do the job. Yeah. He's going to give the job his best. And we also need to learn to close early in this part of the world. People are working till 3 a.m. before they go home and resume 6 a.m. on another set. How can they be productive? Yeah. It's that thing bothers me a lot that by 10 p.m. people are still on sets mm. trying to, to shoot a particular scene. I don't want my next produ- production to be like that. Yeah. And I'm fighting all my life to get the right budget that it's not like that. But at the end of the day, these people are fighting for self. They are telling you that why are you fighting for me? Because they are, they are used to the dysfunctional industry. Yeah, you get. But we need to fix that. Fix the budget. Let people be able to take breaks off their work. When people can take breaks, more people can come into the industry. And when people see that the industry is lucrative enough, they can come in and fill in those roles. We don't have to rely on just two colorists in the entire space. Mm. Why? Because the budget cannot. Have, people don't see that that place is viable enough for them to come in and become. I mean, when we have good budgets, we have varieties. People will come in. You know, skills will become better. Um, we we'll have more people that can fill in roles. And yeah, the projects will gradually become better. You just see that projects are is better because these days people are going on set. They don't even know what the story is. They don't even know what the script is. Yeah. They don't even know what the treatment is. They are just coming on set because they want to just collect their daily rates and get out. Mm. We, and we cannot we cannot have a functional industry like that. We need people that are passionate about the project to come on the project. And why are they passionate about the project? Because they are well-paid. They don't have to think about the next project. Why? Because there's health insurance if anything happens to them on mm-hmm. set. If um, things go wrong, there's if we didn't finish the shooting one day, there's backup um, contingency budgets that will fix in for the next day. That we can, All of us can close at 6 p.m. or max 8 p.m. And go and chill and resume again the next day, 7 a.m. Yeah. And film. You get, but when we are walking from 6 a.m. to 3 a.m. and we do it the next day, and it's like that, like that every, every day of the week, without health insurance, without all these things in place, we're just going to drive each other till we're all crazy and everybody's moving mad. Yeah. So at times, all these things are things I see on set, and I just have empathy on people when I see them just walking slowly and not walking as fast. Because, I mean, these guys are, have literally been on set for like seven days in a row. Mm. How much productive can you productivity can you draw draw out from such a person? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, those are going to be two things I'll say the industry needs to fix before we now start talking about representation. Because I know a lot of people just jump into saying, "Oh, we need representation and all that." No, we don't need representation here. Let's fix our structure. Yeah. Let's fix our structure that nobody closes their anything after six six p.m. 
you are paying people extra money to be on your set. Let's first have that law. As that is a law, that anything after 6 p.m., you pay people extra money to be on set. And you have to provide accommodation for them. So all, all those things are like basic, basic that we need to fix. Then if we fix that, we can now start talking about representation and exporting the brand and all those things that we like to shout a lot. Hmm. Okay, nice one. Um, yeah, how can people keep up with, you know, all the new work you're putting out? Mm, I think most, I like to share a lot. So, I mean, see the social media until I stop sharing. Okay. <laughs> but for now, I still share a lot of my work on social media. So you can always follow me on all social media platforms. Not all, I'm only, on, I'm only active on Instagram and Twitter. I don't know about Facebook or any other one that exists. But I mean, Instagram and Twitter, same handle at Ulu at the best. Um, my website, uluadabest.com, there will always be my project on my website. Even if it's not on Instagram or Twitter, you see it on my website. Because, I mean, those, that's what I send to my client every now and then. I don't send them my Instagram page. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not an influencer. Mm. So <laughs> most times, my works are like on my website. You'll see there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, um, Ulu at the best for coming on the Niger Filmmaker. Thanks, boss, for having me. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Selegal Film and the podcast at the Niger Film Pod to share your feedback. You can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.